Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode 54, recorded on March 7th, 2023. Every second, the world becomes more connected. And with infinite interconnectability comes infinite risk. There are people, from guys in their mom's basements to ransomware gangs to shadowy state actors, who have a mission to break into systems to wreak havoc. Focus on cybersecurity has never been more important. And as we'll hear, it will only become more important with each passing day. This episode, we'll look at a company called Otorio, which is looking to make the world more secure. First, though, it's this kind of thing from Locomobi CEO Grant Furling. All right, Grant, let's let's talk about some tech news. What have you got for us this time? Well, um, look, I mean, there's not a day we don't talk about cybersecurity, big boy, you know, big brother looking over you and so on. So I got I thought I would target some of the news uh, that people can understand where we sit with uh, with our personal data. And I think it's a big, I mean, I get asked about it every day, Alan. So um, my first one is, um, if you didn't read the news about Ring, which as you know, is owned by um, Amazon, has over 10 million subscribers. So um, I, I guess there was this, um, the way this all came out became big news is a, a guy in in Hamlin, Ohio, picked up his phone and answered a call. There's local police wanting the footage off his door camera. Um, right. He said, fine, fine. But then what was really amazing is what came out of that. It found out that not only did they have information on everything he did there in every time frame through Ring and Amazon, every, the whole neighborhood was monitored. So, But wait, wait, by who? By the police and getting the information from Amazon. Um, all the security footage got bigger. And what they found is um, the digital rights advocacy groups found out that uh, they were basically had access to everything on the ring system. I mean, quite frankly, if you had one in your bathroom, they could watch, they could have known what you watch what you did. So the, the, the issue now, the spotlight is really on homes or businesses. Um, where is this, being stored and for how long? Like I know for now, it's they say it's stored for 180 day, days on Ring servers. So in, in actual fact, uh, police through a, I guess through a warrant, right, could access any Ring cameras they want. And Big Brother could watch anything they want about you, even though you've done nothing wrong. Um, all they need is to say, I need to access it. Um, there's legislation that does not address this yet. As we all know, the privacy home surveillance devices, and um, so my point being is, it's it's a big deal. Um, they don't just hand stuff over, but you know, and I know, all they need is a legal document to get what they want, and and when they do that, it's gone. So privacy obviously is not winning, um, and I'm not putting blame on Ring because I have cameras very similar to Ring, and I have my own internal security system that is not part of anyone that I have my own firewall. So my point to a lot of people is if you're putting in a doorbell with a camera, just remember something. It's not just a doorbell and a camera. 
If you're going to secure your home, don't do it with Ring. Go put in your own network, review it, internalize it, put your own firewalls in. Um, and then if you want to have a, a cloud internet to it like I do, then that's great. But, you know, when you put in a Ring doorbell or a, a um, Google doorbell or a, like a Nest application, understand that's the easiest line of cyber intervention. Yeah, I... I can see how these these bad guys would would target the repository of all this stored video, and who knows by going working backwards how they could get to you. Well, you know, and 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 the fact is, they probably are. That's the scary part about all this, Alan. They probably are, and I and I think about it every day. Like, who's watching me? Forget about people telling me about my systems. At least I can control those. So I just tell people. Just don't don't put all your trust in a device you bought online and and plug in on your own. <laughs> That's all. Okay, next. World Economic Forum. Very interesting. They published a, a report about cyber risk and um, how basically it's the number one problem. Cyber exposure when it comes to financial loss, cyber it's the number one thing in the world. So you can we can talk about all the other problems. And 83% of companies um, have done something to improve it, but they can't keep pace. So they've gone out, they've improved their cybersecurity, but the minute they do it, they're behind again. So the risk, the risk is huge. So what they're doing is they're trying to come up with guidelines. Um, you probably don't know about, uh, but for example, Uber was just report, you know, they were, they were, they were really broken up by some teenager from a group and really penetrated and shut down Uber. I don't know if you remember this, but they did. And um, it was a ransomware attack. And I think that what you're gonna find is this is becoming bigger and bigger. And this economic forum, which I don't always agree with a lot of stuff they do, because I don't necessarily have to read their, their stats as much as I do have to read that there's a possibility of a problem. And the biggest risk area is the United States. Um, no doubt about it. Um, and, and I think that uh, now in their studies, they were using, they had to have up to a thousand employees and a million dollars in revenue. And this is where they found the biggest problem. So it's not the great big guys, Alan. It's us. It's us that is being affected the most. And who are the people least to go and do a cybersecurity assessment? Us. <laughs> So if you understand the correlation, I'm saying is, is that the big guys, you know, they got the money and the budgets and they're doing it and they're still getting compromised. Right. But as you know, every day you and I are getting deep fakes on voicemails, reading deep fakes on um, uh, emails saying, oh, you did this link to this. That's cybersecurity. OK. And very people, few people address it. I address it in a certain way, but not the way I should probably. Um, so I think it's very important people understand um, as smart technology comes out, it's gonna get more and more uh, acceptable to um, risk. And I hope that people understand they should be taking some things serious and precaution. One of the things that I'm particularly worried about are, are cars because cars are becoming more and more interconnected there was something just this past week I read that Ford may have access to your banking information 
so that if you miss a car payment, they will shut off your air conditioning. Okay, well, I don't know how you knew that, but that was my next subject. But it wasn't about, it was about how Ford could do that through the smart system of the car. It's the ability to shut off a car anywhere is serious. Um, to put me in the middle of nowhere and you know, a girl or, or a guy be raped or beat up, to, to shut off a car on the highway all of a sudden, forget about what Ford could do. Because they're saying, if you don't pay, no play. I kind of get it if they can only do it in your car, in your driveway. I mean, no pay, no play. I don't view that as a big issue as more as what they're saying is people can access the smarts of your car. Now, that's serious. Um, so, Alan, forget about your financial data. How about just crashing your car? How about just locking you in your car? How about, uh, you know, it can do anything they want. Turn on the heat. Turn on the air. Do the, the, the problem is cybersecurity now is a big, big uh, industry for the automobiles that goes forward. As you know, we're working on it right now with the Aero Project, uh, Locomobi, because it is a serious problem. Otorio is a cybersecurity company based in Tel Aviv, Israel, that helps identify vulnerabilities in a company's, an institution's, or a country's cyber infrastructures. We had a conversation with Matan Dubrushin, who is going to walk us through what Otorio does and the risks they work to mitigate. One of the big problems of the modern era is cybercrime. And it doesn't matter whether you're an individual, whether you're an institution, whether you're a company, you have to be very careful about who is trying to get into your systems. And I think it's, it's worthy to talk about this, these problems, especially in an era when ransomware seems to be making the headlines every single day. So, Matan, let's talk about Otorio and, and what the company does and what your role is within the company. Otorio is an OT cybersecurity company based in Tel Aviv. Um, it was founded five years ago. Uh, our biggest partner is uh, Andritz. Uh, it's a very big automation and uh, engineering company based in Austria. And the idea was to combine the expertise, the cybersecurity expertise we gained from the IDF, from the Israeli army, together with the automation uh, and, you know, hundreds of years of experience in engineering and in automation from Andritz, and together um, help organizations in their digitalization process. Uh, this is the era that we're talking about right now. It is being called Industry 4.0 or Industry X.0. Uh, this is like the fourth um, manufacturing revolution, I'd say, uh, where all of these operational traditional organizations are starting being connected to the cloud uh, in order to gain more uh, you know, efficiency and being able to control these factories from remote. Uh, but these things comes with a price, as we all know. The Israelis really know their way around um, cybersecurity. And when we get into talking about the IDF, and we can go into oh, <laughs> some of the, the offensive and defensive weapons that the IDF has been using, uh, you know, from Stuxnet on, 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 on down. Um, so you have some pretty cutting edge, state of the art uh, technology 
at your fingertips, correct? We believe so. Of course, we're very heavily influenced by cybersecurity in our world. Uh, and I, I think it's probably top priority for everybody, particularly with chatbots coming out and all the ability for people to find ways to penetrate uh, companies. But in your case, um, you're dedicated or focused on the manufacturing era, uh, I think. Um, and so what I see in this is uh, a couple of things I, I, I've got questions on I would love to hear about. Um, as we go to the smart city initiatives, uh, we're going to be, everyone's going to be um, trying to find ways to do things more efficient, like you said. Um, the big part that I see is robots. I mean, I know that you can do efficiencies of just the operation of a plant and, and protect it. And you can talk about that. But obviously, we all know where we're going here. It's robotics. And whether it's semi-automatic or fully automated autonomous robots, that's where I see the real issues and the challenges. And I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit. Yeah, you, you raise a very good point uh, and robotics is one part of the equation I guess and it is um, you know something that is very visual so it's easy to to imagine uh, that's that's great but I think the the problem uh, also with robotics is that in order to really deploy these complex systems and robotics is a very good example you know we have a lot of uh, Customers that have shuttle systems uh, like these automate, automated robots that delivering things from one way or another, or actually doing some kind of manipulation on products. Uh, and in order for them to work efficiently, uh, they need data and someone needs to operate them. And you have these big screens where all the data is floating, uh, flows to these systems and you can see where your different robots are and what they're doing and what they're supposed to do next. And these systems, because they have all this data and they're controlling these robots, um, it is just like a software, like traditional software component that we know from the IT world, right? This is like knowing where everyone is uh, and what they're doing. And this connectivity, uh, is something that is not secure enough. Uh, and all these, I'd say, junctions between new and modern software, uh, like this fancy, you know, robotics management system, uh, to the old traditional one, uh, to the old traditional robotics, this is where trouble starts, right? And we see it not only with robotics, but also, you know, in sending telemetry to the cloud from remote substations or other, you know, industries. But every time that these traditional systems tries to connect, tries to be more efficient, uh, it's it's not an easy ride, right? Give me an idea of a company that you would work for and uh, a solution that they're looking to find for, let's say, let's just say managing a, a series of, of, of robots or robotic systems. What would you do for them? So we have be very big customers that have uh, a smart warehouse, for example. Smart warehouse is a good example of something that has both robotics 
like shuttle systems that are moving things around. They have also more traditional automation processes, like conveyor belts and things like that. Um, and they want to operate these complex logistic uh, buildings from remote and in the most efficient way. Right? When you think about how you know, names like Amazon or eBay are um, organizing all of these logistics, um, I'm sure that you, you think about robots as just flying around and moving from one way or another. Mm-hmm. And the problem there is that, that traditional uh, security systems, either if you're looking at uh, IT systems like antiviruses or firewalls, and also OT security systems that only rely on one or two parts of the network, like only the the network protocols, um, they only look at one small uh, piece of the puzzle, right? So you're only looking at the Windows machines or you're only looking on the, the firewalls and each security component uh, gives you some information about the, the big puzzle. And what we're trying to do with Otorio is connect all these dots. This means that we're actually connecting or ingesting data from all of the systems that you have in, in that smart warehouse. And it starts with the security systems like antiviruses, firewalls, EDRs, network access controls, whatever. It continues with the actual infrastructure. So the the switches and the network network infrastructure and the physical infrastructure like the access control of the doors and the cages and, and what's not. And finally, the manufacturing process. So you have like SCADA system, you have manufacturing um, execution system. You have these systems that actually responsible for the manufacturing. And my vision is, or my thinking is that unless you connect all these dots together, you don't really know whether something is really malicious going on in your plant, or it is just a mistake or just something intentional of an operator. So the idea is just to connect all of the possible data sources from the network. Well, mm-hmm. so are you are you connecting from node to node or just from the actual end site to the cloud? In other words, as we know, you can have threats via the cloud coming into the building or the operation, but then you've got the operation has nodes talking different things throughout its internal network. So is it, you understand what I'm saying? Is it a hybrid? Is it added on at the outside? Or are you actually worried about what's going on between machine to machine? We care about both. Again, when you try to connect to to such a complex uh, architecture and a smart warehouse can have tens of thousands of devices across dozens of networks, both OT and IT, both operational and informational, and a lot of ways that uh, talks also to the cloud, not only for updates, but also for metrics and remote operations and so on. And we, as a hybrid solution, uh, we have this edge or sensor type of architecture 
that you put sensor in each place that you want, uh, each place that you need. But by design, we're trying to make the most of the existing systems you have in the network. Okay, so if you already bought a very expensive firewall, for example, but you didn't configure it correctly, uh, you just wasted your money, right? You need to be able to maximize your existing products. And this is something that we put a lot of emphasis on. We are analyzing what are the gaps in the network. And the recommendation would be you need to add these rules in your firewall in order to block this uh, exploitation vector. Yeah, uh, and, and I think that's good because you know what you can't do is go to a client that just spent a million dollars or $10 million and say, it's no good. That's right. So by being agnostic, you're real to say, look, don't worry. We'll fix it the way it works. We'll help you. And then when you grow, we can add new great devices. Would that be a good analogy? So I'm the dummy on the podcast. So let me see if I can actually, uh, if I've got this right. So what you do is you go into a company, you look at um, all their systems, you find the vulnerabilities, you plug those holes, and then you create a system whereby you have a holistic approach to any sort of cybersecurity issues that the company may feature, may, may encounter going forward, correct? That's right. Um, that's right. The way that we're doing it is a lot of systems, they can do some of the things you said. They can alert on vulnerabilities that you have in the network, and they can maybe do some kind of risk analysis to say what's more important than the other. In most cases, these are uh, static indicators. So like the vulnerability score will be determined by what the vendor is thinking about this vulnerability, the, the amount of criticality. We are using uh, also a patent pending uh, approach that uses attack analysis in order to simulate how an attacker will, uh, will exploit this network. Because we are coming from the IDF and we saw, you know, both sides of this uh, operation. Whenever an attacker comes to a network, he will do several things. He will scan the network. He will try to figure out what are the crown jewels in the network. He will try to do uh, maximum impact with uh, the minimum resources that will take, right? because he has also limited resources. And our attack graph analysis um, tries to calculate how difficult will it be for an attacker to breach from the cloud to the IT network, and then from the IT network to the operational network, and then to actually do some kind of impact, to disrupt the operation, to shut down a PLC, to shut down the manufacturing system, each of them has different probability. And each jump like that um, has some impact and also some probability for exploitation. And we think only while you analyze all the dis different paths, you can really prioritize what are the most critical vulnerabilities in the network. Okay. Who are these bad guys that are trying to get in? 
what is the motivation? And this may seem like a pretty basic question, but who are these people with these uh, who are trying to get into these networks and systems? Well, it depends on the industry sector. Well, yeah, yeah. But- where, are they, where are they based? Where are they coming from? What is their, are they stealing intellectual property? Are they trying to shut things down for um, a ransomware attack? Or, you know, who, who are these bad guys? So, unfortunately, there is no one answer to that. Um, and it starts with opportunistic attackers uh, that I'd say are some kind of cyber crime or opportunistic, uh, you know, lone attackers that see some kind of vulnerability and then they just, you know, step in. Uh, these are pretty rare. So, mischief makers, let's say. But, uh, you know, how about state actors? How about uh, criminal actors? Well, they're all there. Uh, they're all going to be there, Alan. I mean, again, if I'm attacking a company that has things that will affect me in a military way, then I'm looking at military stuff. If I have someone making something that's going to have credit card information, I want financial stuff. I think that's the, the key here is being agnostic. It's not really the data that we care about. It's how we stop the data and, and how you attack the data. Yeah, um, it, it really depends. Again, we have different types of attackers. We have the more opportunistic. We have the money-motivated, ma- like the ransomware groups. And at the edge, we have, obviously, the nation states, the APTs. Um, we saw a very big rise uh, due to the uh, ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine in a lot of power utilities. Um, and obviously, these are not ransomware gangs. These are nation or nation-sponsored groups tries to do some kind of real physical impact in order to uh, do a long-lasting um, impact on on the people. Right? If a power, if you have a power outage. Uh, it is, you know, besides the, the power, it leaves a very big mental uh, impact on, okay, they can actually do that. Uh, that's scary. Maybe we should, I don't know, protest against the, the war now or whatever. It's a good example. Yeah, so we have, we have uh, actors that are attacking banks, uh, governments, uh, electrical grids, all, all that sort of stuff. And I guess they're coming from, you know, they have their own reasons for, for, for doing this sort of thing. Um, they, how do you keep up with the tactics that these bad guys use? Because they seem to be winning. Because every, every, every week I get a note saying, hey, you know, you stayed at this hotel. There's been a data breach. We think that. How about every day? Well, okay. How about every day? Well, I'm just talking about the emails that I get personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, yeah. that yeah. I get, I get, uh, you know, I got a ho- uh, email from a hotel in Las Vegas saying, yeah, you know what? We, you know, accidentally lost control of $3.2 million guest records, including yours. <laughs> um, this, it is, it is scary because. You don't know who has your personal information and what they may want to do with it, um, you know, with all these different breaches. Or company information or whatever. Anything, yeah. yeah. Yes. So so you started the question by how do you keep up? 
Yes. I, I will say that the level of complexities in attacks that you mentioned, uh, like leaks or ransomware attacks, again, in most cases, not in all, in terms of how to protect from it, uh, it is not novel already. Okay. If you're doing what we call uh, these days cyber hygiene, okay, like you're taking the basic steps and you really have like a cyber plan and you managing your risks. I am not aware of any company that, you know, did these steps, put the basic, you know, walls and got this type of attack. It is in, again, uh, there are exceptions, but these are companies, organizations that just decided to put this risk management uh, one step below and to focus on other things first. Let me, I've, got, I've got a couple of important questions. Um, one, um, we know that the big future of uh, cyber and blockchain and, and people are afraid of uh, more than anything is quantum Mm -hmm. uh, physics and quantum technology, quantum programming. And we know that quantum uh, theory it doesn't work around standard mathematics of theory. So um, many companies are afraid, and they should be, and banks and, and high securities are very afraid of what's going to happen with the introduction of quantum mm -hmm. uh, technology. And maybe you could address that a bit. Sure. So there is a very Again, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I, all what I know about quantum and um, it is a very emerging, you know, field, it is that most theory and most, um, I'd say, uh, scary things around it is breaking encryptions, uh, breaking probability, uh, which affects, you know, first thing, uh, the encrypted protocols like TLS or different, you know, the, the foundations of secure, secure web. If we think about operational, operational environments for a second, the adoption of secure protocols is not there by design and by choice a lot of times. We had the discussion in the the ICS, the operational community for a while now, whether um, you know critical infrastructure, for example, needs to adopt uh, secure protocols, needs to adopt authentication, needs to adopt encryption, because these are the things that quantum can break. Um, and most professionals do not agree that uh, they actually need to adopt these because when, when we're talking about real-time communication, uh, so we know a robot needs to get thousands of inputs and outputs every second in order to operate in a safe and efficient way, you really cannot put an encryption layer there. You, you cannot physically yet. Maybe Quantum will also introduce the, the solution for it. Uh, days will tell. But for OT organization, this mainly affects the perimeter, right? The outer wall to, to the internet. And my personal idea is that uh, 
like the research community still struggles with finding, you know, applications uh, that the common human being could use, can use. And unless we're talking about really super nation states that can actually adopt this type of technology tomorrow morning, I mean, if a nation state really wants to exploit your organization, they will in one way or another, and they really don't need quantum. So gotcha. the day that ransomware groups will get quantum, yes, it is scary. It's scary. I don't yeah. think that uh, we are close to that day. I, I, my second question is, and thank you for that answer, because I think quantum uh, physics and quantum theory is going to be a problem. I think that if we work on figuring out how to defend against quantum, rather than use it for an offense, it'd be great. But my second question is this. It sounds like I like what you do. Is this expensive for a company to adopt? How do you, how would you, like, okay, I got this company and I'm making stuff and I got their basic firewalls. I need to put something in. Are we talking um, uh, cloud service plus some inexpensive hardware? Where do you start with a client? And what, what kind of cost initiatives do we have? Because everyone's going to ask that. Uh, and it's a great question. Um, <laughs> that, again, we have deployments where you have, as you said, uh, a cloud instance of central management and only one sensor in the network to gather data. And we have customers like a giant airport with dozens of sensors and uh, central management on-site and services included and so on. So you really don't have one uh, type of deployment that fits them all. Uh, most organizations start with some kind of an assessment, either done, done by us or by their own people or external uh, supplier. Assessment is a, like risk assessment, cybersecurity assessment is a great place to start. It is not a very expensive um, service to, to consume. And it really can highlight where you should focus for first. Also, this is what our platform tries to do. It tries to prioritize where you should focus first because you have so-and-so resources. Do you need to patch all of your systems tomorrow morning? No, you need to start with that system with that most critical point in your network. Yeah, like, that's where I see it, Alan. Like, like you know, I, I, I get involved every day as they do with companies all the time. And I go, you should do this. I go, oh, no, how much? Well, maybe that is it. Um, I think as a start, every company that's serious, well, better be serious, should do a cyber risk um, assessment. Yes. And I think that's where it starts to me, Alan. And if you're going to start developing all these smart technologies in the smart city, um, you better make sure that you know what you're protecting. And an assessment, you don't have to do anything, You can, but it's nice to do the assessment. All right, but let me ask you this. What about phishing and social engineering? There is always going to be the human element where somebody clicks on a link that they're not supposed to click on, and that releases a cascading series of events that creates all kinds of problems. Do you deal with with the human aspect of it as well as the uh, the electronic and the t and the infrastructure aspect of it? 
So obviously, we are not building anti-phishing or things like that yeah. uh, on our own. But it is very important for us that when we have a customer with uh, internet access, and it is not all customers, but where we have like an email uh, service in the network, it is very important for us to integrate with, uh, to also get data and alerts from that system. Because as you said yourself, this is the most common initial vector for companies to get harmed. So we are not building our own firewalls, we are not building our own antiviruses, but you have already those systems in, your, in the network and we, we help you leverage the, the capabilities of there in order to uh, protect yourself better. Do you have any views on the Internet of Things from the point of view of your company? Yes. Uh, and the term Internet of Things, um, it depends on who you ask, because some people uh, think of OT, of operational technology, as part of the IoT, and some call it the IIoT, like the Industrial Internet of Things. Um, and in general, it is a very common name for some embedded device that used to that you used to do something manual or disconnected, and all of a sudden it is connected uh, and smart in a way. We we do draw the line um, because in most cases IoT is a supporting process of the operational process. And if we talked about risk assessment, you need to distinguish between the two, right? So the CCTVs, for example, in a, in a facility, they are IoT devices. They are not responsible for the operational process, but they are a supporting effort. Like they are supporting the security of the facility and so on. It is important to also protect these um these devices, especially if we're talking about more advanced type of a threat actor that might want to shut down the CCTVs and then do some kind of physical impact, like an explosion or something like that. And the operator will not have visibility of whether something bad just happened in his production floor. So it is definitely something that we... Um, that we protect and we also integrate with systems that manage those systems. Um, and it is big, big part of the risk also. So you're based in Middle East? So the headquarters and most of the back office in, is in Tel Aviv. Uh, most of our um, business presence is in the United States. Uh, and in Canada. Okay. And we have also a very strong presence in Europe because of our partner and uh, a lot of our market is there. Okay. So um, USA, Canada, um, and how many? How big is the company? So today we're more than 120 people. Um, okay. And growing. No, it's fantastic. And so, so Alan, the way I leave this is real important is 
first of all, this is uh, really great to talk this way because I don't think people understand um, what's out there. But more importantly, I leave with such a simple thing here myself. And that is you need to get yourself reviewed. You need to have uh, a review of your cyber uh, system and your firewalls and the security of your company and no better way than an assessment. And I think I would leave that because you can't, all the other stuff we can talk forever, but they're really no, you should get an assessment. You bring, give a link and get out there and people should start taking this very serious. Well, again, we hear all these stories every single week of a company, a hospital, uh, somebody being shut down by a cybersecurity breach. And I have a lot of, I have a feeling that a lot of these companies don't take cybersecurity as seriously as they need to until it's too late because they think, oh, nobody's ever going to, you know, I'm an obscure little manufacturing company in a suburb of a Midwestern city in the United States. Nobody is ever going to attack my systems. Well, that's, that's kind of silly because you never know who is going to attack what. People are always out there probing, 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 trying to find vulnerabilities in any given company. And it could be something proactive. It could be a, a revenge thing. It could be a, you know, any kind of, everybody's a target, I guess is what I'm saying. I definitely agree with, uh, with the message that an assessment, either automated one or manual one, is uh, the best place to start, not only in cybersecurity, but also when managing business risk, you are starting by analyzing what those risks are, what are the impacts are, what are the probabilities. It is no different from cyber to business, to supply chain, to any type of risk management process that you need to do in your organization. One of the most difficult things to deal with when it comes to cybersecurity are zero-day exploits. Um, so you work with your your clients to make sure that they are protected from from these sorts of explosions going off within their systems. Yeah. So in most cases, zero day attacks uh, or any other vulnerabilities. Also, one days um, if you didn't patch one day could be as scary as zero day, especially in those critical infrastructures that patching is something that is very rare. Uh, so you are coming to an environment and they have these unpatched systems for 10 years now. So do you really need a zero-day exploitation? Um, I'm not so sure. And in most cases, um, these exploitation vectors can be mitigated uh, using, again, the existing solutions that you have in, in your network. Like firewalls, for example, if you blocked all of the ports that an exploit could use, uh, you mitigated the attack vector. So you don't really need to patch all of the vulnerabilities. And again, if a nation state has this secret weapon of a zero day that only they know and they can bypass any security system in the world, um, that's one thing, but, and that's it for this edition of the smart city podcast, groups, upcoming programs will feature more smart cases, people and their ideas for connecting us together through um, smart, either one days or zero days from a very particular type. And I believe that if you really do the basic things using an assessment, 
and you configured your security controls that you already have as good as you can, you mitigated 99% of the exploitation vectors. This has been absolutely fascinating. Grant and I both have a ton of other questions that we could we possibly ask. Uh, it's It's been illuminating, and I hope people take your advice and to do these assessments because if something happens, it's too late and the damage may be irreparable uh, thanks to these bad guys that are looking to get into, into, into your stuff. That's right. And that's it for this episode of the Smart City Podcast. Good chat with Matan Dubroshin of Ontario. If you've been neglecting your cybersecurity situation, the message here is don't. Large entities like countries, banks, hospitals, electrical grids, casinos, know that you can't be cavalier about cybersecurity. And with our buildings and homes and vehicles becoming more connected each day, we have to assume that someone somewhere will one day try to hack us. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog or check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll talk to you next time.